Hello and welcome to the Swift Coders Podcast. I'm your host, Garrick, and today's guest is Harlan Haskins. Harlan is an undergraduate at Rochester Institute of Technology studying computer science. He's interned at Apple three times, and two of those times he was working on Swift. And currently, he's working on some really exciting stuff uh, you know, related to Swift at Google. Welcome to the show, Harlan. Hey, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. My pleasure. <laughs> I'd scream louder, but like the room I'm in, I don't want to be too loud. But I got yeah, you. me too. I'm super excited. <laughs> Haven't done a podcast episode in a long time. But I'm doing well right now because you are so special and I want to talk to you. I'm flattered. Yeah, so I haven't done one in a long time. I'm actually really, really like the the adrenaline is going right now, feeling the rush of being live. Um, at least like, you know, you and I are kind of live and we're recording it. It's going to go live at some point. Yeah. Ooh, ooh, ooh. And all this is going to be on the air because I don't do no editing. No editing. Um, yeah. So why is Harlan, why am I doing an episode? I've been on hiatus for a while. Um, if you want to learn a little bit about that, I did an episode with uh, Fireside Swift, where I talk about that. Uh, that was a recent episode. And um, so why am I doing an episode right now? This is a special uh, episode with Harlan, because Harlan is going to be at TriSwift San Jose 2018, uh, over there close to Dub Dub. Uh, TriSwift is doing like a open source, like learn about contributing to open source conference. I'm also going to be a mentor and Harlan is a mentor. And I thought that it would be great to get as many mentors on the podcast before the actual conference so that any of you that are coming to the conference can learn about uh, who uh, the mentors are. And, uh, and, you know, if you can't come to the conference, you get to learn about us as well. So how does that sound to you, Harlan? That sounds good to me. I'm ready to get started. Yeah. So a little bit about the, the conference I really don't know actually too much about it. All I know is that the TriSwift organization, you know, led by Natasha the Robot, they're putting it on. Um, I'm assuming people are going to come there and just learn about how to get started contributing to Swift. Yeah, that know? seems to be right. I think it's going to be mostly the workshop, um, like like one one big workshop event. About, okay. Yeah, th that's what I think. I'm not 100% sure about that. Yeah, yeah, me neither. Um, we should uh, try to learn some more. I reached out to Natasha and uh, and to get some more information, and and so hopefully we can just figure figure that out. I'd love to like learn more, and, and as I'm doing these episodes, um, put that out there to, to let people know what to expect. So it sounds like it's going to be some kind of um, you know workshop. We all get together, and anyone that's interested in learning about how to contribute to Swift. Uh, can learn, and then the mentors can be there to uh, to guide the people. So that sounds like fun to me. Yeah, yeah, me too. I'm I've actually been really excited to sort of be able to shepherd people into the Swift flock, uh, metaphorically. Uh, there was I, I spoke at Try Swift 2017 in New York, and I think it was Brian King who uh, hosted a open source Swift contribution workshop. And we actually got like five or six good contributions, a lot of them to the refactoring engine and Xcode from that specific workshop. It was really wow. cool. So I'd like to see that on a much larger level at WWDC. It'd just be super cool to see so many fresh new faces involved in Swift. 
Yeah, yeah. And so we're going to get into uh, contributing to Swift and more thoughts on the conference, uh, what to expect, what we're excited about uh, a little later in the episode. And before we, so before we do that, I just wanted to uh, learn about Harlan. I've actually never interviewed you before. We've met in person. I think probably the first time we had contact was just online, uh, obviously related to Swift. And um, and then I ran into you wandering the streets of San Jose at Dub Dub last year. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> and we had some ice cream. I think we actually used the Beacon app. I, you guys posted yeah, we a did. Beacon. Yeah. yeah. You posted a Beacon about ice cream or something, and uh, Lucy and I came and met up with you and Robert, and that's when we finally met in person. Yeah. And so, yeah. It's and you had to... Robert on the show before once, right? Yes. Yep, I have. I had Robert before. I can't remember exactly why he did something that was like super cool. And I was like, I got to have him on. And then, you know, he helped me get my contribution to Swift uh, yeah. in. And then also, I think it was because Ayaka had mentioned Robert in her talk about contributing to Swift. Right. And so, yeah. So thank you to Robert for being a mentor. And thank you to you as well, Harlan, for being a mentor. I'm sure you're, you know, answering those questions that only, you know, you can kind of know once you've contributed, like, oh, you got to like re-download or you got to do the beta or you got to check this compiler flag. You know, there's always those little things when you're contributing to Swift. Oh, yeah. Um, Robert, I actually wish Robert could be there with us at TriSwift to mentor, but he's actually going to be interning with Apple at the same time. So he should be at DubDub around that uh -huh. same time. Oh, and so he'll probably be in the, the Swift Labs uh, yep. during the conference. Right. That makes sense. Well, I'm sure he'll be in the area and we can uh, have some ice cream again. Oh, yeah. All right, Harlan. So let's go back to the beginning. Tell us about your first uh, memory of programming. Um, so the first thing I ever programmed was actually in my sophomore year of high school, and it was I, I shudder to call it programming, honestly. Um, I slapped together a countdown clock uh, for Palm WebOS, which I still contend was way ahead of its time, and I really wish had succeeded. I would like to see, you know, a third player in the smartphone industry that was as innovative as Palm was. Uh, they were the first to do real multitasking and real actual, you know, syncing of all your accounts together in one centralized place. Like nothing has matched what WebOS was doing. And so I made this countdown clock for WebOS my late my sophomore year of high school. Um, and then I took AP Computer Science my junior year of high school. And that's when I sort of started getting involved with quote-unquote, actual programming. Um, about that time, I expanded my WebOS repertoire with a soundboard for Portal 2, which I recently played around with, and the code is just adorable. <laughs> it's like, you know, a hard-coded little thing for every button, and the code for it is just repeated over and over and over again. So Portal 2 is the video game, and you said a soundboard. Is that like uh, you wanted to have access to all the sounds of the game? Uh, yeah, no, I mean, it was just like, there are some funny quotes from the game, and I found that someone had, on Android, made a soundboard for Portal 2, and they'd already done all the work of extracting the sounds, so I just took those sound files and wrapped them in a WebOS front-end for it, and there and we so go. so basically, that allowed you to, with your WebOS phone, I guess, um, just press a bunch of buttons that played whatever sounds were in the game. 
Yeah, it's pretty much the first app that someone builds beyond Hello World. That's cool. Okay, and yeah. so WebOS is like the Trio, Palm Trio or something? No, no, it was the Palm Pre. Okay, Palm Which Pre. was not, you know, not a lot of people had them. Uh, okay. And I, so my friend Thomas had gotten me into them uh, because I was a... I was a fan of Apple at the time, and then I was also like a fan of Android at the time, and and I was just like, oh, but you know, this third option that's super super cool, it's you know, it's gonna take everyone by storm and give Apple and Google a run for their money, and it really never did, unfortunately. Wait, so was WebOS before all of that, or did it kind of happen at the same time? WebOS happened about the same time as the App Store happened, so it was two thousand eight, two thousand nine, two thousand ten. And and sort of fell out of favor in 2011 when, well, WebOS itself, Palm, was bought by HP, uh, and they sort of drove WebOS into the ground. Okay, because like my, I remember my dad, he had like um, a PDA, I think it was called, personal digital assistant. Yeah, isn't that like the same? Is is that what that was? It was like a Palm, I think it was no, called the Palm it was Tree a Palm or something. TX was the okay. personal like the PDA thing. This was after. Um Okay. If let me I I can't really do it justice. The whole thing about WebOS was it used all these emerging technologies, all this like HTML5 style stuff. Um and so like it was actually, you know, for its time really like beautiful in my opinion. Okay. Um but it, WebOS still lives on. Uh LG bought the mobile division from HP, and so now they ship WebOS on all their smart TVs, which is pretty cool, and they actually just re-open sourced it. Wow. So, you know, yeah. You thinking, uh, about, uh, <laughs> thinking about getting in there? You know, I, I don't know if uh, smart TVs are my industry at this point. Uh-huh. Smart, that's cool, though, WebOS. Oh, that might be like what all the, like the smart TVs are using, WebOS, like where you can have Netflix and Google on your right. Samsung TV. Well, it's only LG so far, but okay. it's open source, so who knows where it'll go. Huh. Maybe we'll create our own TV and we'll use <laughs> it. Oh, uh, wait. So it sounds like you, your friends like helped you kind of get into this. You mentioned your friends uh, were kind of into either Apple or Google or WebOS, and like you kind of were like, oh, I'm going to do that. Or was there some other reason that you thought to yourself, like, I'm going to program this thing? I mean, I had always thought that programming, the, the, I remember an early version of myself, uh, younger, I guess is the word for that, um, f- seeing some XKCD comics about programming and being like, wow, programming, that's got to be this thing that only like crazy math super nerds are able to even comprehend. Right. So I never really tried it until I was like 17, 16, 17 years old. Um, but then taking, actually taking... Uh, a, a you know computer science class in Java it turned me from you know okay so I played around with making a little app which was ninety nine percent copying and pasting snippets from someone else into you know how do I actually learn what what algorithms are how to think in a computer science way how to take problems and deconstruct them into their tiniest little bits and build abstraction on top of that um, and so I sort of I came to really appreciate it and and around that time my teacher happened to work for a small startup that was making ios apps and they gave me an internship uh the summer after that um 
AP Computer Science class, which was my first foray into iOS and Objective C and any sort of, you know, actual application development beyond just oh hey here's a GUI made with Java Swing, have at it. So have you actually like got into iOS app development, or are you mostly like working on on Swift? It sounds like early on you actually were making programs as opposed to being this like ninja compiler uh, <laughs> programmer. I, uh, I still object to the idea of compiler wizards and ninjas, but uh, yeah, no, I started out on, on iOS. I started out writing, the, the first thing I ever worked on was a calculator app called AlphaCalc, which has since been removed from the app store because we never updated it past 32-bit, which is mm. sad, but it, it was very much stuck in iOS 5. I remember the first thing that I ever did was give it iPhone 5 support uh, and and extending the screen, the height of the screen. So it's like all the skeuomorphic design. Thing. Oh, absolutely, so much. Uh, nice. But it was beautiful. It was beautiful. What would um, you say then? Like looking back, was like the biggest reason why you like never thought, never thought programming was something like you could do. And then, like, at what point? Like, how did you realize you could do it? Like, what would you say the biggest reason is that you thought you could? So, um, I think, so I started using Linux when I was about 13 because we had an old computer in the garage and I completely messed it up, uh, in a botched install of windows and I didn't have a windows CD to reinstall it. So, uh, my brother gave me this CD that like he had seen an article, I think on like Lifehacker or something about Ubuntu and he had a live CD. And so I installed it. And I didn't really know what I was doing, but I got really into it. I liked working with computers, and I liked knowing about how computers worked. And, and I liked this this whole notion that Linux gives you total control, and if you mess it up, you got to be the one to fix it. Uh, and I liked that. Uh, but I saw a lot of the things that, you know, when when you fail to boot up and you're, you know, knocked to a, a shell terminal and you don't know what anything does... Uh, it can be really intimidating and can make you think that, oh, like this, this might be over my head. Um, and so I thought, you know, the people who make this kind of software, they have to be absolutely just geniuses, just complete and total. I don't even know a word to describe how I felt programmers had to be. Very, um, very smart. Very smart people. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I, I think it was just, you know, taking a, a, a high school class and being shown the basics and knowing that, oh, there is, uh, no programming is not this, you know, terrifying mountain. It's just small abstractions built on top of each other until you have huge abstractions. Um, and that sort of carried with me. Uh, that that sort of idea that pretty much every problem is just a bunch of subproblems that can each be tackled one after another. Yeah, well, that's one of my favorite parts of programming is like the building on top of each other. Actually, I find myself thinking about like the foundation, for instance. Like we'll, I don't know if we'll ever see like the implementation of foundation. Obviously, foundation on Linux, but that's totally different, right? There is like this whole foundation framework that we all use every day. And like we probably will never see it. And actually, I'm just—I find myself like I'm washing my hands, and I'm like, I wonder what, 
the implementation of like this method. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> you know, and it, it's pretty crazy. Like that's like a protected, like, it's like, you're right. It's like this, it's been built up over time, all these small little problems. And that's like one of my favorite parts of programming. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so I started, I, I kept doing iOS because it was a good, a really good mixture of being able to rapidly prototype things with like interface builder and right. also, you know, having interesting problems to solve uh, right. and having just so much new stuff. Like if I, like I remember the first time that I used a table view and it was just so new. Like I, I didn't know that I, you know, wasn't saving data and I needed to save it between screens. And I didn't realize that, oh yeah, when I come back to this screen, it's empty. Why is it empty? You know, oh, I didn't, right. You know, all, all these things that were it's just really cool figuring out this whole new way of, of thinking and this whole new mindset uh, that's totally different from, from what I would expect from persistence and real life and, and all sorts of things. But um and yeah, about, really, it, it really took sorry, until college, sorry, it really took until college for me to explore beyond iOS. Yeah, it's funny because like my f entry into programming is, I is iOS you know, or was iOS and a lot of people, I, it, it's going to be that way. And yeah. for, for me, like just opening up the terminal when I was just starting out was like a daunting task. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting, like for you, your entry into programming was the terminal. Yeah, well, being forced into it. <laughs> so now, you know, after our, you know, a few years or all these years um, still doing programming, would you say that your interests are, are the same or you've developed new interests? Like, or what still excites you, I guess, about, about programming? Um, I still love that notion that everything is just a bunch of problems waiting to be solved. Yeah. And are um, you, do you feel like you're solving like similar problems or different problems now that, you know, you're working on, I assume you work on a language, you know, more so than apps, I guess, or, or but ultimately they're all yeah. kind of programs, right? But I do, I do work on languages. Um, right now, the, the majority of the work that I do is either languages or language related tools. Um, I'm actually taking a really cool class that I want to talk about later, um, right now, but but essentially, uh, I've noticed that the problems are not that different between an app and a language. Um, and it all has to do with ergonomics. You're always trying to find out what's the easiest way that you can present this information to the user. What's the best way that you can lay out an array of people's friends and show uh, all the you know recent messages that they've sent to them versus... What's the best way that you can syntactically structure a language construct that it's discoverable for someone who doesn't know the construct yet, and then also easy enough for you to parse and recognize their mistakes so you can provide good diagnostics and, and things? Everything is human-oriented. I don't think right. there's a single computing problem that's not human-oriented in the end. Right, so developing a language, your main user is the developer that's going to use the language. And it sounds like also the developer that's going to like be maintaining that language a little bit more so than like the developer that's going to ma maintain the app, you know? Because when we make apps, we kind of have two users of the app too. You have like the actual user and then the next developer. But it sounds right. like 
the next developer is actually even more important when making a language in some ways. Or, yeah, or maybe um, not. Yeah, there, there's a there's a big culture, I think, um, at least on Swift, of um, sort of trying to leave things better than you found them. Right. Uh, Con- every conservation so often, minded. Yes. Uh, every so often, you'll find some contributor who's like, "Oh, yeah, I needed to add this new feature." Let's say you know, conditional conformances. And uh, in doing that, I was pretty much forced to rewrite, you know, some sort of conformance checker. And so I took the opportunity to clean it up significantly and remove a bunch of old technical debt while I was still, you know, digging my hands in in the same part of the code base. Um, that's a, sort of a, a thing that I really enjoy about the Swift project is that people aren't afraid to admit when technical debt has taken over um, and and correct it, uh, or at least post about it on Twitter. Yeah, let's, so let's talk a little bit about contributing to Swift then. Like, what what is the state of contributing to Swift now? I mean, when I, like, when I contributed, and mind you, I just did one little small, pull, you know, pull request. It was like a couple lines. Sure. But it was still super fun. And it was a learning experience, but I had to write mostly C++, which Robert like totally helped me with. And I yeah. wrote just a little bit of Swift for like uh, firing off this diagnostic. I think it was in Swift, yeah. or at least I defined the diagnostic uh, in Swift. So are we at the point where if you wanted to contribute to Swift, you wouldn't necessarily have to see or write C++? Like, is there a lot of Swift code that we could either fix or add? Because like, now you can actually write, like, uh, write the language in the language, correct? I mean, you could. Um, oh, do we not? We don't have Swift is still a big, very large C plus plus project. Um, however, there are new tools that are written in Swift uh, as part of the Swift project that uh, need a lot of love um, and could use contributions and, and helping hands. Um, Two of them are Swift Syntax, uh, which is the intern project that I did over last summer, um, and Swift Lang, which is a tiny, so far, um, source kit API uh, in Swift that I, I don't know what the intentions are, but I saw it posted recently um, as sort of a, you know, a little way of invoking source kit from, from a Swift project. And so... If you saw, uh, Swift is going to be a part of Google Summer of Code this year. Okay, yeah, I think I saw that. And one of the Google Summer of Code projects is to integrate um, lib syntax and Swift syntax uh, with the rest of the compiler pipeline. Um, and also to allow for Swift launching external tools that use Swift syntax, um, which I think is going to be a really important step forward for the state of tooling in Swift. And, and I'm familiar with this a little bit because I remember having a conversation with somebody. They were they were talking about this, you know, and but just kind of explain why. Like, so you talk about Swift Lang and how Swift Lang might uh, help potentially. Not necessarily that's what it's for, but it might help. It could help with creating Swift tools. Like, why is that? What is what is that interaction with SourceKit? How, how is that valuable? Right. Um, so. So most of most of what I know is about Swift syntax. Um, so to give you some background, Swift syntax is a Swift library that developers can import in their Swift scripts or projects, 
and parse Swift files using the, the parser from the compiler, uh, and then analyze them, do some sort of transformations over them, and then print the file right back out to, to you know, the disk or to the screen or whatever. Um, so we, what we would really like is to, you know, maybe rethink how the refactoring engine works to be more lib syntax based instead of the way that it is right now. The refactoring engine in Xcode is very much, uh, you know, based on raw like source locations. Like, what's the byte offset into the file from here? And we'll delete this string and put this string back. But Swift syntax affords you a full, you know, data structure tree representation of the source code that you can just change little bits around and just flush it all right back exactly as it was written. Yeah, super cool. So are you saying Swift syntax, is that a thing that actually exists right now? It's open source? Is it a part of the Swift.org um, project? It's open source. It's part of the Swift.org project. It's in the Swift repository. Um, it doesn't ship with Xcode 9.3. I don't know when it'll ship. Um, it's, in my opinion, it is getting very close to the point where it's going to I, I, can't, I don't want to say going to be solidified because I don't know, but it's getting close to the point where I think it is, you know, ready for a release. And um, so to, to be clear, I, my understanding of like what essentially what you're saying is like a, uh, an application like, for instance, um, Swift Format, which uh, I believe, oh, one second, my computer went to sleep. Got to type. There we go. You shouldn't be doing that, computer. Um, my understanding with Swift Format is... The Swift so format is actually just like doing a, almost like a regex or a tokenizer. It's like just parsing the files, um, and then it's determining like what what is this um, you know string? Is it a is it a uh, is it explicitly typing something? And maybe this Swift Swift format rule says like we don't want to explicitly type things at the local scope or something, and so I'm going to remove it. Um, Are you talking Swift, about like Nick Lockwood's yeah, Swift Nick Lockwood's, format project? Yeah. Okay. Or, or like Swift Lint is using, I think, like Source Kitten, which kind of mm-hmm. uses Source Kit somehow. Or, or um, and it's it's sort of almost like doing these jobs, but kind of blindly in a way, or like more in a primitive way. But with Swift syntax, it's going to make it so like it's almost like uh, strongly typed, like how we code in Swift. Strong, oh, very strong strongly type. typed. Um, so source kitten does give you a strongly typed tree representation of the source file, but, um, I like to think of Swift syntax as being halfway between source kit and actually, you know, working with the raw strings directly. Okay. Um, so I gave a talk at TriSwift 2017 about Swift syntax, uh, and how it was structured and what you could do with it. And in that talk, I built a very small little formatting tool, um, at the time, most of the actual functionality, which was linking the, the Swift parser to Swift syntax, wasn't implemented. So all you really had was just tokens. Uh, you didn't really have the actual tree structure. But most of the parser has been implemented now, and so you'll get a very rich uh, parse representation of the tree. But what we did is I said, okay, I'll make a small rule that says... Um, any colon should have no spaces before it and one space after it everywhere in the entire language. So what I did is I built a visitor. uh, That's a subclass of a a class called syntax rewriter in Swift syntax um, that every time it saw a token, 
it would go, okay, am I the token directly before a colon? If so, then I will create a new version of myself that doesn't have spaces after it. Hmm. And I'll return that. Okay. Am I a colon? Uh, if I am, then I'll create a new version of myself that has a single space after. Hmm. And then I'll return that. And so suddenly you can take this poorly formatted file that has a million spaces before every colon and none after. And then just running this one pass over it, suddenly every colon is fixed immediately. Right. So whereas, you know, you, you could write a regex for that one small rule, if you, say, wanted to write a more complicated rule, uh, like, you know, numeric literals should have underscores inserted in them, you'd have to do some pretty, you know, pretty pretty difficult stuff to say, okay, my regex needs to reject number literals that are inside comments. And then it also needs to reject number literals that are inside strings. And it really only needs, like, there's a lot of things that, that you would have to write and, and edge cases that you'd have to handle because you don't have a structured representation because right. you're just working with the strings. Right. So, so in a, a string just tells you what a thing says, but it doesn't tell you what the thing is. And so right. one string might potentially, depending on what's next to it or, or after it, might be one thing or it might be another. Um, and it's a little bit more difficult to determine what that is by just using like regex on a string and like this tokenizer uh, concept that I think uh, Nick Lockwood does. But um, but what we're going to... with That said, with Swift syntax, format is a very impressive tool as it is. Totally, yeah. Use it every day. But with this Swift syntax thing, it's actually going to tell you like what it is. Like exactly. I am a... A keyword, and the keyword that I am is I don't know default. Exactly, it's pretty cool. Pretty cool. Okay, so to wrap up like this little little bit, like wh how do you feel then? Actually, one thing I want to ask is, what is like most important? Would you say um, to like contributing to Swift? Because my understanding is there's many ways to contribute to Swift, right? And uh, at Swift open source, for instance, like. Um, Jesse and JP, they have a podcast that's all, all about Swift open source, mm -hmm. and that's the way they contribute. One way you can contribute is like being a compiler contributor, right? Or, or you can talk to people on Swift Evolution. Um, like, do you feel like, like it's everyone has to just contribute, or well, not no, everybody I mean, has to contribute, yeah, right? Not everybody has to contribute, um, but uh, pretty much everybody listening to this podcast. Uh, unless you don't know what Swift is at all and you've somehow made it a half hour into a podcast about Swift, uh, you're personally invested in the language. Uh, you want to see it thrive. We want to see it thrive. And and probably if you're listening to this, you know, your your job <laughs> depends on Swift thriving right. um, as a project. And, you know, I, I certainly not everybody has to contribute to Swift. But if you ever feel like, you know, you would want to contribute to Swift... I think there should be a lot of, uh, of of avenues for someone who's a first timer to just jump in, um, and, and sort of the the best way to do that is to find a small issue, something bite sized, something that's not going to, uh, you know, force you to spend six hours debugging it, um, that will allow you to take a little bit of time to familiarize yourself with the abstractions in the compiler. Uh, learn how the layers work, learn how they're glued together, um, and in the end of the day, have something demonstrable that you can say, this thing was broken, or this thing didn't exist, then I made my contribution, and now it is fixed or it exists. Like, 
having an end to end thing, even just a small one under your belt, uh, does wonders for your confidence when, you know, looking to maybe tackle something bigger. Yeah, um, one thing's kind of cool too is like uh, I'll be working, I'll be pairing, for instance, with my my coworker Q, and we'll be coding, and like there'll be this uh, diagnostic, and, uh, and and I'll be like, oh, actually, I'll forget, and I'll be like, oh, that's actually the diagnostic that I that I uh, you know I wrote that, you know, and it's yeah, kind of exactly. cool too. Like you're working and you're seeing like the work that you did, just like what makes us all excited about. Um, programming, right? Like seeing the result of your work. Um, okay, one question I have is, and maybe it's not so obvious, but like to me, the obvious reasons for why we want other people to contribute to Swift are like the more people that are contributing, maybe we can get more work done. And then also like the more people are involved, like the different perspectives like that we have, we can benefit from people, other different perspectives. But Absolutely. are there other like reasons that maybe aren't so obvious or that that I'm that I might be missing like why is it so important that we have people who are actually like contributing to the language through like pull requests well i i think you sort of hit the nail on the head like diversity uh having people with different experiences and different priorities uh being able to come into the language and have a say in in where it goes um that's that's why i think that so actually why i really think that the move to the swift forums was a lot more beneficial than we realized. Um, it just removes all the barriers to entry for people who are, were, you know, say, weren't conditionalized or, or weren't sort of didn't have their professional growth in an era where mailing lists were dominant. Right. Um, to, so the, the, anything we can possibly do to reduce people's barrier to entry is good. Um, even if we don't, we don't necessarily need 700 people constantly contributing to the language. Anything we can do to reduce the barrier to entry for people who want to contribute is going to be beneficial to the, right. the health and the, the, you know, the, the success of the project. Uh, especially as we try to get Swift expanded into, into server side, um, some of this latest stuff with TensorFlow, um, as we see Swift going into the data, data science realm, um, just as we see Swift take on more and more responsibilities, it's good to have a fresh set of eyes from people who maybe are more experienced with different realms of computing. Uh, Swift currently has a lot of eyes from the app community, but not a crazy amount of eyes from the server-side community. Certainly not a lot of eyes from the, the data science community. So it's good to have as many people as we can getting, getting their voice in the language uh, as possible. Because it helps us figure out, you know, what's the actual environment that we're trying to optimize Swift for? Uh, should we even optimize Swift for an environment, or should we really try to push it as a jack of all trades? I'm actually interested in the barriers that you mentioned. Um, you were talking about like the mailing list being uh, a barrier, and and now that I think about it, it kind of was for me. I mean, I you know I, I signed up for the mailing list, but it was just kind of hard to like understand them. Uh, I haven't been paying too much attention to the forums. Would you say that the forums, you know, they really have been an improvement and have they been going well? I really, I, yeah, I think the forums were a drastic improvement. Um, not only in approachability, um, you know, people are much more willing to sign on to a forum when they know that it's not going to be something that's going to hit their email inbox constantly, when it's something that they can check when they need to. Um, and it, it sort of, has more structure to a conversation than a mailing list. Um, and then also, I think the forums have enabled more ways of communicating about certain things, right? Previously, there was a list 
for each thing. So there was the Swift dev list. There was a Swift evolution list. There was the uh, Swift users list. Um, and sometimes it wasn't necessarily clear what you should post on which list. Right. You know, if you're seeing a bug in Swift as a user, should you post that to Swift users? Or maybe if you might want to try to fix it, should you post it to Swift dev? Right. Uh, you know, where should that maybe go? Uh, if you're concerned about a language feature, should you post that to Swift evolution or should you just post it to Swift dev? Um, it's good to instead have a system where you, you know, you categorize posts and posts can have tags and things that sort of allow you to, to make a fine grained, uh, categorization for each post and, and allow people to search. Oh man, l- let's forget search, right? Like <laughs> search is so important compared to a mailing list. Uh, being able to go back and view in an archive, like that's, that changes everything. You get f- way fewer duplicate responses because people check to see if something's been said before. And what about downloading the project and building it and actually like getting your workstation set up to contribute? Has that been getting better? So I there have been improvements in the actual tools themselves. Uh, BuildScript has seen some pretty significant improvements recently. Um, you know, the scripts to update the checkouts for all the, you know, to, to right. download all the projects has been improving. Um, the actual build system, uh, I personally think is very obtuse and very hard to get involved in. It's probably the the biggest barrier that I can think of right now to getting generally started with the compiler is just how long it takes to build the thing. Right. Um, and, and how unhelpful it is if the build does fail, if you're not very familiar with CMake and the internals of a build system already. Right. Um, so I, I should mention... And this or is have access a, to someone or like Robert to say, hey, this is where it failed. And then he's like, oh yeah, you got to do this. Yeah, you know, you got to do this obtuse thing. Oh, yeah, no, you got to go delete this one random file that was generated improperly. Of course. Um, I I should mention that I'm, uh, Robert and I are giving a talk together at App Builder Switzerland next week uh, about exactly this. What are the tips and tricks that we've developed over the time that we've spent working on Swift uh, to really effectively run the build script, find an issue, debug an issue? Uh, get things set up to actually get your first contribution going, and we're gonna uh, we're gonna actually fix a bug in Swift live on stage. And are you gonna have the like uh, five computers like a cooking show where one's like already <laughs> ready to go? Yeah, I'm, I'm literally going to do that. It's just gonna be a directory, but yeah, literally gonna pull out a machine and say, you know, we've got a build script cooking in the oven right now. I'm, you're being serious, right? I'm being absolutely serious. That was a joke we were gonna make. <laughs> Yeah, that's good. Well, I'm it's sure not joke. everybody that's going to app builders uh, listens to the podcast, so I'm sure it'll still yeah, land really well. Let's hope really that doesn't well. get spoiled. No, I don't think so. So, because basically to to explain, like as you mentioned, like you run to to build it, and it takes a really long time. And so this has actually been a barrier for me to um, have a meetup on contributing yeah. to Swift because, like, I really don't, ha- I don't. I mean, I didn't know you could do it that way. So you're saying have like five copies and have like every stage sort of ready to go. Yeah, um, that requires, if you're going to have five copies of the compiler, that requires 125 extra gigs of disk space. Wow. Which is hard to come by on, on these Macs. So, Okay, so you talk about the build system. Um, let's assume it is improving. And is there much more improvement that we can make so that um, it is faster and this is less of a barrier? Um, 
I'm actually not sure. I don't know too much about build systems. Okay, um, maybe at that's... least specifically specifically the CMake build system that Swift and LLVM are built with. So I I don't know. I think I would personally like to see a little bit of a focus on uh, distributed compiling. You know, across a bunch of machines. Right, like Buck, um, something like that. Yeah, um, or or even using distcc, uh, which is like a, a automatic distribution across a bunch of machines of, of a okay. compiler. Um, I would like to see that because I, I want to sort of live in a world where you can just say, ah, yes, I think this will work. Computer, <laughs> fetch me a build result uh, and it'll go, you know, hit the cloud or hit Swift CI and then give you the build result. Um, I would love to live in that world because currently running build script on my machine makes it scream like an airplane and I don't like that. <laughs> For those that are uh, really interested in this topic, do you know who's the person to talk to out there in the interwebs? The build uh, stuff? Um, so one person you can talk to about the actual build system on Swift is Michael Gottesman um, okay. and Chris Bienemann. Both of okay. them are build script gurus. Um, and then Ross Bayer, working on the Swift team, is currently trying to sort of modernize the actual scripts that invoke CMake and hopefully you know, improve the, what I, what I like to lovingly refer to as the rat's nest of CMake. Okay. If my memory serves me correctly, I think Brian Gziak is also like interested yes. in the build stuff. Um, and, you know, I know he gears some of his articles towards beginners. So definitely check out that, uh, check mm -hmm. that out. Okay. So app builders in Switzerland and, uh, coming up soon. That's super cool. Thank you for, for, for going over there. Uh, Sounds like a good time. Uh, and what about uh, Google? Let's just talk about that real quick. So you're you're working there. You're interning there. When 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 did that happen? What's going on there? Yeah. So I'm I'm doing um, I'm planning to return to Apple in the fall, um, but one during this time where I'm still finishing up my degree, um, and before I join Apple, I'm taking some time to work part time with Google on Swift tools, um, making use of Swift syntax and. Uh, I'm super excited about it. We're we're making some cool stuff, and I, I really can't wait until we're sort of further along and can show people what we're working on. That's so it's cool. be great. That's awesome, man. Okay, and then real quick, I do want to talk about your podcast. Bear with us. Yes. What's, what's that all about? Uh, believe it or not, I really enjoy things that aren't Swift as well. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, I've been listening to to comedy podcasts for a while, and I think my favorite one. Uh, no, I don't think it. I know it. My favorite one is uh, My Brother, My Brother, and Me. Okay. Um, it's an advice show of these three brothers who uh, answer people's advice questions, um, but they're just really good at, at you know playing off of each other, and they have a really good chemistry together. And so I, I really like this idea of a couple of people sitting down together and just riffing off of each other and improv um, And so I got two of my friends, um, Ben Centra and Stephen Simmons, uh, who, if any of you follow me on Twitter, you've probably seen me post videos like the LaCroix video uh, <laughs> that, that seemingly took off recently. Um, uh, where, you know, Stephen and I have been bantering back and forth, you know, making up garbage for, uh, what, 11 years now? Maybe even longer than that. Um, and, uh, and, you know, we've been making things on YouTube for a while, and I just, I like making harmless content, harmless jokes. No, there, there doesn't need to be a victim to every joke, and, and I just like the idea of, of you know, pure 
consequence-free banter between people. So Bear With Us is a podcast where the three of us claim to be world-renowned experts, <laughs> and we answer people's questions about life, the universe, and everything with the confidence of world-renowned experts, even though we really don't know anything at all, and we're making up the most inane, nonsensical responses to everything as we go along and it's it is a it is a hoot and a half to write and uh and to to record and it's super super fun and so we're hoping that eventually we can you know build up a critical mass and and actually have a a, a listener base that that loves to listen to us goof around about nothing for a good solid 35 minutes a pop uh, that's great and you said uh, you're writing some of it so it's partially scripted Sorry, I, I shouldn't have said right. It's not scripted at all. Uh, okay. It's really fun to record. We don't write any of it. Okay. Uh, we just we just request questions from people. Okay, so so people send in questions and you answer them. Yes. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. So we and... had in our first episode a great question, which was, uh, I recently went to Niagara Falls and there was a lot of water falling over it, and I got a little concerned because I didn't know how the water gets back up there. Uh, <laughs> are they going to run out of water? Please help. I'm very I'm very concerned. <laughs> Uh, man, that's great. Uh, yeah, and so we sort of uh, we, we we eventually converged on an answer to that. All right, and so is it live now? People can listen to it, or it's going to come out soon. It's going to come out soon. It's not quite live now, um, but if you have any questions, um, please send a question about anything. Like if you're curious about the history of street lamps, just shoot us a quick email asking us about street lamps at questions at bearwithus.zone and we will get to you with an answer, hopefully. <laughs> awesome. That's so cool. Okay, so we're coming down to the wire. I wanted to keep this episode um, on the shorter side, but just a couple quick, uh, couple quick maybe lightning round almost. You mentioned a class that you're going to be uh, taking. What's that class? Uh, it's called Physical Computing and alternative interfaces. Uh, and the class is like 20% learn how to program electronics and 80% learn how to make fun and interesting experiences that connect people to computers. Um, and so for this project, for my last one, I spent a good 14 hours sewing LEDs into a heart shape on some denim and putting it under a sweater that I was wearing connected to a heart rate monitor, I sending that. my heart rate around this, uh, you know, line of leds uh this little heart shape right over my heart and it was super super cool i i just love the idea of you know take something that's not currently connected to a computer connect it to a computer and make a compelling narrative off of it i just i love it it's 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 forced me to think about computing in a completely different way oh man that's so cool i feel like uh i saw a picture of that online or something mm -hmm. yeah i tweeted about it a while ago Okay, so that's a class you're taking at the Rochester. Uh, yeah, at RIT. That's cool. All right, um, quick, let's talk about um, looking forward to the TriSwift San Jose conference. Mm -hmm. uh, what are you most excited about? Yeah. Um, yeah, I just, I want to see people who feel like they don't know enough, quote unquote, about contributing to compilers. Um, learning that there absolutely is something for everyone of all skill levels to be able to contribute to this project. Um, and that hopefully they'll, they'll come out thinking that, you know, compilers and the project itself are not as daunting as they thought. 
And if, uh, do you think that there's like some way maybe you could prepare? Let's say you've never contributed to Swift. Would you feel like maybe there's some way you could potentially prepare? What would be like a good uh, way to do that? A good way to prepare is, uh, well, uh, before then, hopefully the video from App Builders will be up and we'll give you sort of a general idea of how to get started. Um, but before then, um, go look at Ayaka's talk about yep. when she contributed to Swift. It's actually a really great resource for if you don't know what you're necessarily doing. Um, go to bugs.swift.org and search for starter bugs. There's a lot of them. Um, people who work on Swift intentionally leave little things broken so that contributors can come in and you know get familiarized with the project and fix something small. Um, wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, on bugs.swift.org, there's a tag, I guess it's called a label, starter bug. And if you search for that label, you'll find a bunch of little bite-sized bugs if you've never contributed to Swift that you can just open up and take a crack at. I mean, I knew about the starter bugs, but I didn't know about these little Easter eggs. That's kind of cool. Well, I mean, they, so they don't, they, they don't leave things broken. Like they don't, in the middle of building a feature, oh, don't intentionally break something and leave it broken. But they won't just, fix it. If, if it's inconsequential enough... They'll go, that would make a good starter bug. I don't have the bandwidth for this, okay. so I'll leave it broken for now and hope that <laughs> someone comes and fixes it. Sorry, I didn't mean that they leave actual bugs in the compiler on purpose for people to come in and find. That's uh, That would be really sad. Oh, yeah, it turns out we can totally type check that expression. Uh, it was nowhere near too complex, but, you know. That's funny. It reminds me of, like, sometimes... There'll be like these private APIs where you can kind of like only see them when the debugger stops and it's like this weird method name or something. Oh, yeah. Oh, um, like uh, NS stop touching me box? <laughs> what? Oh, my gosh. Um, I, Another thing I would say is like you, you don't have to just find a bug that's like on there. Like you could actually create your own in a way. Like for me, like I found a way to improve the user experience of Swift by saying this diagnostic could be better. It could, it's kind of confusing Absolutely. to me, and I think it could be better, and we can actually add a fix it. And so, like, I, you know, I invented that bug. Yeah. yeah. So. And another right. another place that's underrated is gardening. Um, if you go to the project and look in the pull requests, there's a lot that are tagged with gardening, which is essentially anything that's not an executable code but still needs to be fixed. So typos or documentation problems or... Uh, I actually just merged one earlier today that was someone realized that we were using an old API in the middle of a documentation comment. Like, that's a really valuable uh, contribution to make to the project. And then also adding tests. If you see that something is under-tested, just drop a test in there. You might actually find that there is a bug. Nice. Look at all that. All right, so if um, if people, you know, they come to the the conference... Um, you know, how should they find you or is it okay if they come up and chat with you or... Oh, yeah. Like? I, if you see me, like during that whole week, like if you see me walking around, please just stop me and say hi. Please. I, <laughs> I welcome it. Uh, <laughs> right if you on. see me, like shoot me a Twitter. My Twitter DMs are open. Like just just go for it. Anytime. Cool. All right. Before we wrap up, I just want to make a couple uh, announcements. So uh, check out the Fireside Swift podcast. Uh, Steven and Zach have been doing a great job. They're building a really cool community, um, it, bringing a lot of fun to uh, Swift and uh, podcasting about Swift. So definitely check them out. Uh, fellow Swift coders, uh, member Emmanuel Hartunian has launched a podcast called Swiftcraft, similar to, to Swift coders in the sense we have a, he has a guest on, but uh, it's a monthly 
and they talk about a specific topic. Um, so for instance, like Paul Hudson, I believe he, he interviewed, and they talked about all his work that he does, and uh, they had a specific topic. Um, I can't remember. Uh, something about Swift, Imperative Swift? Oh, Natural Swift. That's what it was. Um, I think the Learn Swift podcast is up and running again. So if you're interested, look up, look that up, and you can apply to be a guest. Um, so if you're just starting out, that's a perfect podcast for you to be a guest on. Um, and I just wanted to shout out to John Sundell and the um, Swift by Sundell podcast. He's doing a great job, uh, like just doing a great job. That guy's like amazing. Yeah, um, definitely check out his podcast. He also launched another podcast with uh, Rambo. Rambo called Stack Trace. Um, and uh, yeah, and then you know, obviously there's the Swift Unwrap podcast. Uh, and what else? Oh, if you want to start a meetup, we're still, you know, people are still hitting me up and we're creating meetups in different places. So feel free to hit me up. Um, and also Swift Fest, swiftfest.io. Uh, uh, it's a uh, Swift conference in Boston. Uh, it's happening in June after DubDub. It's created, I believe, by a few other people, including the founder of uh, Learn Swift Boston. So it's really cool uh, that, 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 that that's happening, you know. And um, also Jeff, he, I met him at uh, Swift Summit. He's, I think, involved as well. Um, yeah, so those are a couple announcements. I should um, also mention I'll be speaking at Swift Fest as well uh, oh, in June. Yeah. Yep. So I'm actually going to be a mentor along with my, or not mentor, a co-host along with my uh, previous co-host. Uh, you know, we're a co-host at Swift Summit, Andy Hope. Um, oh, yeah. I think they've announced that. So I'm going to be at Swift Fest in Boston. So see you there. Yeah, Absolutely. And, and Andy and I are going to be uh, uh, hosting, emceeing. I might even do a talk. I submitted a proposal. If you want to do a talk, you want to do your first talk, um, and you're in Boston or want to go to Boston, submit a talk, Swift, uh, swiftfest.io. Um, yeah. Uh, anything else? What do you think? Yeah, I think that's pretty much it. I had right. a blast. Thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, thank you. And uh, where can people contact you uh, online? Twitter is probably the best place. Yeah, just right. Harlan Haskins on Twitter. All right, cool. So thank you so much, Harlan, for coming on the show today and uh, telling us a little bit about how you got into programming, you know, with the Linux, uh, you know, getting into Linux and not being able to boot up and then, <laughs> uh, right, and like, I guess probably learning how to fix that and then getting into Palm, uh, Palm WebOS, right, and making yep. a little uh, sounding board and then uh, doing, uh, what was it, iOS and making the alpha calculator mm -hmm. and, um, you know, and... and you know, you're in school now. Uh, you're going to graduate soon. You've been working at Apple, working at Google, uh, contributing to Swift, um, being a mentor to other Swift contributors, talking at different conferences, really just an awesome part of the Swift community. You, you really are. Thank you. So thank you so thank much. Thank you for, so much. And good luck with your podcast. Thanks. Bear with us. Yeah, we're, uh, we're excited. We're going to record another episode in the, the next couple of days, and we're excited to get back on the saddle. Nice. All right, and then for those uh, of you wondering if I'm going to have another episode, I'm going to be trying to interview as many um, TriSwift San Jose uh, mentors as possible. So if I can uh, you know, get a hold of any of them and they want to be interviewed, I'll interview them. And so we potentially can look forward to uh, you know, a few episodes, a few more episodes. Um, I'm still um, on hiatus and really just enjoying my time 
focusing on you know what I'm doing and trying to figure out how to push my personal you know life forward and, and bring everything into focus and alignment within like with my, my goals. I'm still helping people out though, uh, maybe just not through the podcast. People are still hit, hitting me up though, um, you know, and are finding the podcast every day. People are hitting me up that are just finding the podcast and they're still you know, uh, loving, you know, appreciating it. And i um, also helping people in my local community, helping them find jobs um, and uh, helping people start, start their own podcast. Someone just contacted me from India who wants to start a, uh, an Indian, Indian iOS community, um, you know, focused podcast and we're helping him start it. Um, so I'm still making an impact. I'm just uh, not, you know, talking about it so much on the podcast. Um, but as always, you can reach out to me with any questions. And Harlan, talk with you at uh, Tri Swift, San Jose. Yeah, super excited. See you then. And that's the show, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you enjoyed listening to the Swift Coders podcast. Feel free to share the show with a friend, leave a review on iTunes, or recommend us on Overcast. If you have any questions, comments, or just want to say hi, contact me on Twitter. Until next time, go swiftly, my friends.